Hello, welcome to Stumble Upon. I'm Austin. And I'm Emily. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss Anna Biller's The Love Witch. As always, there will be spoilers and plenty of swearing. But if that doesn't scare you, then grab some popcorn and put on something comfy so we can discuss witches in cinema. Emily, would you like to give a brief synopsis of the film? Why, yes, I would love to. Anna Biller's The Love Witch is about a modern-day witch who uses spells and magic to get men to fall in love with her, with deadly consequences. So The Love Witch is an awesome, campy film Mm -hmm. that is really pulling from the pulp stories of the 1960s. Yeah, specifically, I would say, like, Jalo films of the the late 60s and early 70s and a whole bunch of, like, like, it feels very, very much of an era that films are no longer made from. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really fun. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Her designs are incredible. But Austin, what struck you most when you watched the film the first time? Well, I think that, th- well, the first time I watched it, we were watching it in a snowstorm in a cabin, and it was just the most kind of weird experience. Like, it was just, like, the film is so, like, can be really, really abrasive, I think, because it's so much style. There is so much, like, presentational style it's almost like deliberately putting you at an arm's distance from from the text of the film it's trying like the acting the the writing the the costuming all of which that Anna Biller does keeps the film at this sort of precipice of artifice over feeling and yet I think the more that I've watched it the more feeling I get out of the film the more I feel tied to an emotional arc and that's that's something that I think is quite remarkable that the film does which is have that layer of depth that lives within it even though there is this intentional artifice that is keeping you at arm's length from everybody and every character in the film it's like a shotgun blast of color and specificity Mm -hmm. and it's like I think the thing that strikes me now about it is how clearly designed the film is and i don't mean that just in like how like production design or 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 or, or anything of that nature i i think of it as a structural design for the the film itself like the sto- the story starts off with uh elaine uh driving away from the last place that she lived which coincides with her murdering her husband and it, it, the shot that we see is a shot of her face with a back projection of the road as she's driving her sports car down a scenic route in, a scenic route in California. Mm-hmm. And just like it, it's we're, we're being told in narration by Elaine why she had to leave. And it's clearly upon like second viewing and more and even depth of viewing of the first viewing. Uh, it's really, really clear that she's lying or that she's holding something back about what happened with her first husband. That she's holding something back from the audience. Yes. Mm. That, or that she's even holding something back from herself. Mm-hmm. Like there's like, it's part of the artifice that I speak of, like this sense of this character is incredibly unreliable and it's, and she's, and she's wonderful because of that. And she's also really engaging because of that. And if you look at, if you look just, once you've seen the film, if you look at that opening and you look at the end, a lot of films are about how a character goes through a transition over time 
and makes an arc and becomes somebody different. And I don't really think Elaine becomes anybody different. Absolutely not. Like, I think she does and affects people's lives to make their lives differently. Obviously, the people she murders, their lives are different. Slightly. And, and, and the people that she becomes friends with are different as well. She changes everyone's life around her but her own. Right. And so, so it's really interesting to look at this film and see, at the very beginning, a shot, like a, a, a three-quarter shot of her head just driving. And then at the end, she's on a bed and it's a very similarly framed shot with her holding, uh, is it his heart or just, or just a bloody knife? Well, she's holding the bloody knife, but she's looking at the painting Mm -hmm. of, of the woman who's stabbed what we assume is her lover. A painting she made. Oh yes. All those paintings are hers. Yeah. So she very much is like, recreating all the the is she recreating all the paintings in her in her apartment i don't know i'll have to go back and watch again to see if that's if that's been like a tip of the hat through the whole film Uh that's pretty cool yeah but yeah absolutely that final scene she's like getting to embody Mm -hmm. her ideal Mm -hmm. and and it's not even an ideal that she says it's like a subconscious ideal because she talks openly to other characters as well as in her own narration about how she just wants love. She just wants love. Well, she wants love. She wants a man to love her the way she loves them. Mm-hmm. So is she actually looking for someone to murder her too? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> I, I kind like, but she murders these people. Like she murders all of the men in this film through her like up until the last it's through the potions that she makes she poisons them with a love potion and that she she decries them for being weak and getting all up in their feels mm-hmm. and that they're just the feels she demands them get into right that like that she is she is so hypocritical she, hypocritical i was uh, unaware also like she like do you think that she's she's aware of what's going on and what she's doing to these people? Like, do you think she's actually aware, or is it is her actions just kind of reactions to the the scenarios that she finds herself? So, like, to, to talk cl- quickly, the first man that we meet that she murders is this guy named Wayne, Wayne. who is Wayne. who is a a college professor who's flirting with a student, mm-hmm. and that. A self-described libertine. Yes, that all Elaine has to do is look at him and he comes over to her and leaves the girl that he was talking to and starts and goes to a cabin that he owns with her. He he doesn't need any prompting whatsoever other than her just looking and being like, hey, I'm new in town. Want to go to your cabin? I'll make you found out about. I'll make you dinner. Yes, uh, I love her idealized version of what it means to be the perfect partner, mm-hmm. I guess. Because she's not looking to be anybody's wife, mm-hmm. I don't think. Well, even if she is looking, like, th- her perfect relationship. Her perfect heteronormative relationship yeah. is, I think, cooking steak mm-hmm. and a little bit of greens mm-hmm. on the side, wine, and then murder. Uh, also, very, like... Like it, her, 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 like her interest in sex, like just seems to be lay there, 
Yeah, she's <laughs> she, not really engaged. Yeah, she just like they have <laughs> sex with her. Like, she doesn't seem to be like <laughs> participating. I wa- like I really want to have sex with you. Like she just kind of lays there. But she does like a good striptease. Yes, she she's does, into that. She does like a good striptease, and she does like a good kind of awkward modern dance oh, that, yeah. that is also apparently incredibly alluring it's like it's a fat like her dance sequences are fascinating i love them and they're just like they're they remind me of uh, uh a giallo film uh that we watched uh what, what was it called death walks on high heels I think. yes it's, oh with that really complicated and not okay scene yeah but it also is like it, it has this dance sequence that like the dancing in that film uh, the striptease. Yes, the striptease in that film is so awkward and weird. Like, it looks like a person who has never danced before or has never used their legs properly before. Yes. It is just all, like, hard edges and, like, like it seems like she's trying to dislocate hips intentionally. I feel like it was choreographed by a person who was pulled in off the street and was mm-hmm. like, hey, can you choreograph the striptease? And the person was like... I mean, I've never done it before, but let's see. Yeah, I'll and do- then they did, and they yeah. were like, "Let's record it and also make it racist." Yeah, and and we only got one take. Let's do it. <laughs> one take. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so Elaine, like, she's she's really fascinating because like I'm not having watched it a few times. Like, I am still not sure what I'm supposed to make of her. Like, textually, do you think she is using potions, like? Of the mind to attract them, like using her eyes as some kind of spell on them, mm-hmm. or would you say she's attracting them initially simply by looking? Yeah. Is it is the is do you think that Anna Biller is trying to say within the film that Elaine is just making herself available, and therefore men are just like Bleh, we can't yeah. help ourselves, or do you think there's a there's a magic happening there? I think it's probably both. I think Anna Biller is inviting us to believe what you just said especially with the first shot with her sitting in a car wind blowing on her hair her lighting a cigarette just like it's so easily lighting a cigarette yeah in 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 a a a convertible in a convertible that's driving on the highway (laughs) like she's just like she's there to be looked at as the first thing you see and it and and because of it being a back projection as she's driving it's really clear that that's a falsity behind her Mm. And so you're don't you're, believe anything you see, right? It it it's saying it's saying that there's falseness behind her. Like even though even though, and I fucking love this that in that scene where she's driving at the beginning of the film, and she's driving, and she, behind her a cop car drives up and starts flashing its lights, and she pulls over, and then we go to location mm-hmm. where she pulls over, and the guy, the cop who later becomes her last love interest, walks up, and uh. And tells her that her tail light is out, but he's not going to give her a ticket. And he walks back to his car. Mm-hmm. So they went to location. They had the opportunity to film in that way, and yet they chose to do this back projection at the at, at the beginning. And that's something that I love about the artifice of this. You, yeah. she chose to make these scenes look the way they did, and that makes all of these choices for who Elaine is and how I feel about her really, really interesting because there's an element of going, uh, of seeing it and going, this is a choice. This isn't happenstance. This isn't naturalistic. This isn't just like the uh, the best mumblecore version of this scene that we got, we happened to get. It's, I'm fucking making this choice. It might be strange, off-putting, off-putting a little bit, uh, a little bit, 
artificial, but all of that is going to add to my understanding. And it's something that I think that Anna Biller has done intentionally in the film. And I think that's something that you you really, that struck you about this, like just her general kind of control and authorship of the film. Yes. What struck me most about Anna Biller's The Love Witch is the authorship of it. It is so very clearly her vision. As you, as you briefly mentioned earlier, she wrote and directed it. She costume designed it. Like she physically made the costumes. She did the makeup. She did the set design. Mm-hmm. She, in fact, calls it her autobiography, mm-hmm. which is really exciting to yeah. think that she's a murderer and yeah. she made a movie about murdering and everybody's like super cool with it. Yeah, this is great. It got I mean, to, it toured everywhere. Yeah, everybody's like, no, no, cool. Like yeah. if you're going to make great art, well, yeah. I mean, murder whoever you have to. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have some questions for her about the audio autobiographical element of it autobiographical element of it but you know um no no judgment um (laughs) maybe judgment no no but maybe a little bit yeah it's probably not a great idea but you know if you have to do research to prepare your your great masterpiece you know yeah she won't be the last (laughs) (laughs) but i loved her use of i think there's so many elements of her work that I think were really beautiful. And you're right, it isn't a naturalistic film. Every actor had to buy into this really specific Mm -hmm. style of performance. Yeah. It was really exciting how, you know, they all were bringing an an extra level of energy. And I think on first viewing, if you're not ready to watch a piece like this, it's going to be really shocking and confusing. Yeah, it's it, it feels at times like advanced film. Mm. Compared to like just like seeing a, a, a shitty blockbuster like Dune or something. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know. A Marvel film. A, any Marvel film. Thank it, you. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah. So, yes, this is sort of a master class in watching cinema. In watching cinema. Mm-hmm. But also, if you are willing to just have your mind open and relax and just let it be what it is without asking it to be something else, mm-hmm. it's going to surprise you and delight you. Because there's so much to chew on. Yeah. Like Elaine, every, when you watch this, everything is a specific choice. Do not think it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. So like some of the things that I love are her use of colors. Yeah. It's so clear and specific. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Romero and the amazing design of Romero's like very 1973 piece, yep. Season of the Witch. And that is wonderful. And, and it, yes, I did mention before that it reminded me of Embassy Housing. I was a diplomat growing up. My my parents were diplomats, and I got to live in a lot of really cheesy embassy housing that was very much designed in that way, but because it was an accident, because mm-hmm. it was like 15, 20 years before we got there, and it was still styled that way. But this stuff, I mean, her, the Love Witch, Anna Biller's piece is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, the colors are so rich. Yep. They're the richest red and the richest purple and the richest yellows and i i I love like i love the anachronisms you're talking about uh there's not a mistake in that kind of design like you could watch the film and be like so she's driving this really beautiful red sports car and when she first drives up to the house that she's going to be living in uh for the duration of the film you can see on the street that they're just like beamers from uh, the the early teens just sitting there on the street. And you're like, what the fuck is that? Like, like a what? Honda Civic. Yeah, I think her like, friend shows up in a Honda Civic. You're like, what the fuck, man? Like you have this beautiful design and then there's normal cars? Like how the fuck? And I think that I really do think that that's, that 
that is a purposeful choice on her behalf to be to accept the reality of filming on a low budget uh, in a low budget world and say it's fine to be anachronistic here because it'll pop her it's going to make the love witch herself it's going to make elaine special because she is unique in this world rather than just everybody else she's actually unique she her powers of making love potions kill people. They're not like she's not maybe a really good witch. Like like not in like like tone good, but as in like like she's not good at her craft. She, well, she's successful at her craft if it's her craft is murder. Yes, but that's not what she like again. But it's not her stated goal. It's it gets to the point of going. I'm not sure what what I'm supposed to make of her. Is am I supposed to think that she's a competent person in what she's doing? Is she? incompetent to the point that she's killing people like is she intending to murder people is she not intent like should the title be the incompetent love witch it would be a much worse title it wouldn't roll off the tongue the love witch works really really well so i think it got the (laughs) right title but like even in that like like think about think about love in in how it's presented in film a lot of times it is incredibly messy so that and in life in that the love witch is a really good title because love is incomplete, it's messy. Like you fuck it up every once in a while. You don't. You have no idea. And maybe that's the maybe that's an element of the film that really does work towards its own thesis of. Yeah. It's just like like love is fucked up, and when somebody goes too far into it, they get they get crazed or they die or they lose themselves. But also, you're looking at you're saying that there's anachronisms. There's the Honda Civic next to her amazing sports car and her very styled 1960s like showcase of the of the world but then it's not like she goes into a regular store she goes into a, a restaurant the the Victorian tea room that is like mm-hmm. wildly bizarrely styled in Victorian esque yeah. looks like it's very right now but also then it, and yeah. so so with this contrast that's interesting to bring back to what you were saying about is she successful or not at at her potion? She kills people, but controlling love naturally is a messy process. Mm-hmm. So definitely, if you bring in the element of choosing, making your selections of people, irregardless of what they feel, mm-hmm. is going to have negative impacts because you can't you can't ask to control other people's feelings, right? It, and that's so maybe that's why she's choosing to have this kind of yeah. And it's something that what you're saying is backed up in that exact scene uh, when she goes to the Victorian tea room, which on an aside, I really want to say it seems like a genre Lind fever dream, like with mm. all these like like gorgeously white dressed nightmares of people just like standing around. Like it's like a... It is a nightmare. Like it's this weird, like maybe... Everything's Lynn, made with dairy for sure. <laughs> your nightmare. Or, or even like a Jess Franco type of weirdness. Like just like it's strange all these people would not be dressed in this way in a normal situation. But to, to get to my, my, my main point about this, about your your uh, uh, messiness, when she goes to the tea room, she goes with her new friend, Trish, who has given her the keys to the apartment that she's staying in in the house. That she designed. That she designed. And her husband, Trish's husband, Richard, Richard shows up. And Richard is also struck just by Elaine's look. And so, in that regards, his love, which Trish goes on about, is uh, is questioned in the first time that you meet him. And love again becomes kind of messy. And and 
and less than clear in that very brief moment. We all look at it like it's really easy to look at it in a very puritanical manner and go, oh, he just wants to fuck Elaine. So obviously he's a cheater. But it's it's a very complicated sort of understanding of what he sees in Elaine, which is also what we're supposed to see in Elaine versus what he sees in his wife, Trish, who is dressed in like very Victorian, like buttoned up to the to her neck. If it could be buttoned up to her chin, she would be buttoned She's up to her. She's kind of going like 50s. Yeah. Where where Elaine is more 60s, 70s. Right. And and there's a which, scene. I guess goes to your puritanical concepts. Yeah. And there's a scene later with, with Trish that I absolutely fucking love. With the percolator coffee? No. Oh. Uh, the scene where she tries on Elaine's clothing. Oh, yes, at the end. That's and, awesome. And she puts on Elaine's wig and she strips down to her lingerie and she's dressed up like Elaine for a little bit, feeling herself in Elaine's apartment until she discovers that at that point that Elaine did have an affair with her husband. And that was the reason that her husband killed himself. Uh, but in that moment of somebody trying on Elaine's world and trying on who Elaine presents to be, we see through another character who has been incredibly uh, pent up throughout the rest of the film, uh, a freedom that is immediately rejected upon gaining more knowledge. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating scene, I think, because of like, because of how much she is feeling herself. Like she, like she's posing. She's like, she's posing in the mirror with the looks. She puts on her lipstick, which well, is always something that creeps me out. It's well, it's it's an interesting what you're pointing out is is a problem a a situation within the heteronormative female experience in general it's this constant we're being told constantly that we need to be desired and if we're not desired we're no longer seen mm-hmm. and so trish lost her husband to suicide um and then on top of it he had been rejecting her for a while and she knew he was having an affair so here's Elaine, who's being seen by everyone and being desired by everyone. She's trying it on to see how it fits her, mm-hmm. if she likes it. And what, yeah, what does that feel like? So do you think she's feeling herself or do you think she's feeling, she's trying to feel power in general? And then her discovery is that her friend betrayed her mm-hmm. and everything is shattered. I think both things can be true. I think that she is feeling herself because like she's trying on a different persona, which is which is also just something that we as humans get to do. Like we get to try different versions of ourselves all the time with new people and how we describe ourselves. But also I think there's an element of needing and wanting to be seen like all of her scenes like specifically the scene right before this is when she talks to elaine about the fact that her husband committed suicide and how when they first met at the the, it's the scene takes place at the the victorian tea house again and how the first time they met they had one conversation and now they're flipped and and because they're flipped i think that leads to their positions in life are flipped. Uh, Elaine has a boyfriend at this time, the cop from earlier in the film, who she doesn't remember as the person who pulled her over. They both say, I think I've seen you before, but they don't, at least not on screen, do they ever put it together. Mm-mm. But Trish says to uh, to Elaine that, like, that they're in different positions. And then Trish immediately puts on uh, Elaine's clothing 
and then immediately rejects it when she sees what that is. What it means. Yeah. And, well, but also she's seeing the toxicity of Elaine. Mm-hmm. Not only that she betrayed her husband, mm-hmm. but she be- and betrayed herself. Like there's a, so much toxicity to Elaine. She yeah. is cruel to everyone. Mm-hmm. There is no one I don't think that she's honest with. No. In this film. I'll, may, maybe her coven. But even them, she no. doesn't seem to really like. She's no. dancing. Everyone else is naked and doing that final coven dance. And she's fully clothed. It's yeah. like she's always on the edges of it. Yeah. And and the guy who is who runs the coven. The, he's such a creep. He's such a creep. And he's presented as a creep. He's like, he's always moist. Somehow, Ew. He, so, Ew. <laughs> somehow he is always Ooh, moist. That's so gross. He is always damp. I, I would really love to see the script and just see his name and then is moist <laughs> as a description. The damp coven leader. And he's also really lecherous and creepy. Like mm. he's oh, he's flirting with all the women in his coven in an incredibly unappealing and unwarranted way and this is to say like this is also to say that in those all those scenes with the covens there's full frontal nudity for both men and women in that and that's not creepy it's only this fucking guy who's just moist and awful yeah and fully clothed and fully clothed he's a creeper yeah i mean it's funny that we're pointing out how what much of a moist creep he is when elaine is killing people yeah but well he's the creep it comes down to the fact that she's not moist She's she's not damp. She's she is dry. Yeah. Um, she's a dry creeper. She's a creepy creeper. But but okay, so but something circling back to something you said a bit earlier about the Victorian tea room, it had um genre Lynn inspo. Like mm-hmm. what else what films do you see uh Anna Biller pulling from? What, what kind of where do you see some of the stuff coming from? You mentioned Jello. What yeah. else did you see? Like I, I see like in a lot of ways, I see like the films of Sergio Martino, like his his Jalo output in the 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 early seventies. Uh, her dress, uh, her uh, Elaine's dress and kind of look has this really wonderful Edwidge Fennec look. Uh, like, Why do you explain a little bit of the Jalo films? What are they? Sure, uh, Jalo films are 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 mystery horror films from uh, from the late 60s to mid-70s that were mostly coming out of Italy. Uh, there are a whole bunch of them. Uh, Sergio Martino is a really good director of them. Uh, Dario Argento made some really famous ones with Suspiria and uh, Bird with a Crystal Plumage. And mostly they're just mysteries like the giallo is yellow means yellow and they were based off of these kind of pulpy yellow novels yellow being the cover the color of the cover not any sort of anything else yellow binding yeah and it and so they just made these films that were uh the exploitation that kind of yeah exploitation there there's like a lot of the funding for these films it came from doing like travelogue versions of films where mm-hmm. they would go so we're doing this italian spanish co-production so we're going to shoot it on the coast of spain so this will be the most beautiful film with boobs and blades and it's their nickname boobs and blades because there are always boobs and there are always blades if there aren't boobs then why are we here and why are we here uh and so there's like they're they're the best of them are really fun they're intricate they always have really good uh uh, narrative twists. There were a bunch that were written by a guy named Gestualdi. Uh, 
Gestaldi? Gestaldi. Uh, and his films, his group of films out of those always make sense, which is something that sometimes these type of thrillers, these murder mystery thrillers don't. You feel like there's curveballs and left, like things from left field all over the place. And his films, while having that, they're all rooted in character, which is really fascinating. And that's something that I do see tied to, to The Love Witch in a lot of ways, because this film is a two-hour film, and there is a lot of different structural things that happen in it. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it do, like, it feels like it could be a shorter film at any time, but never does it feel like it overstays its welcome. Absolutely. Like, it could be a series of shorts, Yeah, but it is something to chew on mm-hmm. as a complete piece. You don't feel like you're... Yeah, there's nothing that you need to trim. Everything is there for a purpose and it feels really rewarding to get to see the whole thing. Yeah, and I I would also say that even though I've commented on the fact that I feel that there's a lot of artifice in it, I feel like all the characters are given proper weight. Mm -hmm. They don't feel like they're just stick figures or or props. Mm -hmm. Like even the characters that are kind of less fleshed out, like... The uh, twins. The twins or the uh, uh, the female cop who just makes Griff his oh, black coffee, cop. who is just like who that actor. She, she is fucking phenomenal. Worked so hard on that bit. Yep. She did a great job. Yep. I loved it. I loved all the little side characters. Yep. I loved the detective scene in the police station. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like what did we just get transported to like a Dick Tracy movie? Like yeah. what is happening yeah. between the chiseled jaw yeah. and the, the, his co detective yeah. who's still on the case. Damn it. Yeah. Griff, who is the head cop who falls in love with the love, Witch at the end for the second half of the film, so this good. man has the most incredible chin I have ever seen. Yeah. Like he, like his chin chiseled, is just fucking granite. It's chiseled out stone it is gorgeous and (laughs) confusing and then to end up at a ren fair yeah that just happens to be where they were riding horses in the woods of her coven that is that is so great like it was amazing it was like was that her strategy or was it legit just a stumble upon and does it matter like just just to fucking wander into a ren fair with your own coven while you're riding white horses and then what is going on Everything is going on in her life that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I was here for it, mm-hmm. and I'm jealous because yep. I haven't been to a run fair, and I feel like I'm missing out on my life. Yeah, especially if it's with everybody you know and love. Yeah. So I have another question for you, which Hit I me. I haven't no, uh, which Hit me with your best shot, uh, which I haven't told you about. Do you think that Elaine gets what she wants at the end? Well, she doesn't go to jail, as far as we know. But like in that last shot, in the world that we know of the film. That's a great question, and I don't know that she does, but I don't know that she doesn't because she does look up and look at the painting that she made mm-hmm. of like holding your lover's heart in your hands, and there was always that tarot card she kept pulling with the three knives in the heart, yep. and she did stab him, I think, three times. So maybe, maybe she was manifesting her reality the whole time. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It strikes me as we were talking that she might get exactly what she wanted in this film. Like she might not want, well, let me restate that. She might get exactly what she wanted. A man dead next to her while she's holding a knife that's bloody. That might be the perfect result of her life. Like she she might be 
purely realized in this. I mean, maybe maybe this is just always what she wants. She wants to fall in love because mm-hmm. that's the fun part. That's the butterflies. Yeah. And then when she gets bored with them, she literally discards them. Mm-hmm. Whether she has to herself by digging their own grave, which apparently wasn't a big deal for her because nope. she's done it before. Yep. Um, and then leaving her DNA everywhere. Right. Bottled. Yeah. <laughs> to perfection yeah. for the detectives. Yeah. Literally um, bottling her tampon and I leaving it on top loved, of the grave. I loved the witch bottle. Yeah. I loved it so much. Yeah. And I love that you pointed out that it was her pee in the bottle, her mm-hmm. urine, had no menstrual blood in it. Yep. But don't worry, her tampon was going to get shoved in there that was full of menstrual blood. And it was just like, girl, you are not peeing without any menstrual blood coming out. Yeah, I was, don't, don't you play with me. I was wondering if when they were doing that scene, if she was like, you know, the sensors are going to be okay with pee and a tampon, but they might not be okay with blood in the urine as a, 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 as a representation of a, a, of a period. Would like, that have made it an X? I don't know. Like, I wonder if there was a cut where she was like, oh, let's try it. And then maybe it was too dark. And people were like, what is she peeing? And like, is she dying? Like, what is happening? People forget about menstruation. Yeah. Like, I don't understand it. I've never, I've never been around a woman in my life. I can't possibly conceive of what happens with their bodies. Can we take a second all to appreciate (laughs) how Elaine peeled the tampon wrapper off of the tampon. It was the funniest shit I'd ever seen mm-hmm. when she very delicately mm-hmm. took it apart. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah, I it, loved it. it. It was not an urgent tampon by any means. It's like, no, no, no. no. We'll, we'll get there. Like, I'll just, like, I don't want to damage anything. Maybe she's a slow bleeder. Yeah, she's like. Maybe she really revels in the tampon. I don't mind if people die, but if my tampon is not perfectly unwrapped, that shit goes in the trash. Well. <laughs> Elaine, you do you. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. I loved. I loved it. So I highly recommend the film yeah. to everyone. Yeah. Everyone, watch it. Get your hand. Watch it three times. Yeah. Don't just watch it once. It, it used to be on Amazon. It's now on. Uh, it's not now on Arrow. The mm-hmm. Arrow player. Yeah. Uh, if you have a just poke if, around, you'll if, find it. Yeah. It's re- both of the films actually are on. Uh, the both of the films that we talked about on this episode or episodes are on. Uh, are on the arrow player. The arrow player is excellent if you love horror. Yeah. And slashers. Yeah. And thrillers. Yes. And and, and things from the 1970s. And, and really really obscure like knockoffs of Friday the 13th which are actually kind of more interesting than Friday the 13th because they're done by people who don't really care about the story but know that they have to make a film like this for their for their audience. Do you know if Slumber Party Massacre is on Arrow? Only Slumber Party Massacre 2 is on Arrow. Oh, have we watched that yet? We haven't yet. Ooh. But well, we ha- might stumble upon that one then. Yeah, but it does have, I've seen a bit from it where it has, uh, the killer has a giant guitar and he has a dance sequence that's like, Four minutes long in the middle of the film. Oh, which, is that that one? The one yeah. where it's like, yep. it's like a rock star, but he's going to murder everybody. Yeah, rockabilly style. Oh, yes. I love rockabilly. Yep. Okay. It's we're gonna, definitely watching that. It's going to be fucking weird. We're going to, we'll probably <laughs> talk about that too. Yeah. So yeah, let's actually, let's, let's talk about some stumble upons next. Yeah. Like what are some, some recommendations that I'm going to make for oh. anyone out there that's like, it's still the witchy season and I'm feeling my feels. So I want to think about that. Um, some recommendations that I have would be, of course, Practical Magic, mm-hmm. which is an all-time fave, mm-hmm. and Hocus Pocus, if for some reason you missed it. 
But if you want to dig in a little deeper and get something that has a little bit more grit to it, mm-hmm. I'm going to definitely recommend Eve's Bayou. If you're feeling Louisiana heat, mm-hmm. you should check out this film. It's phenomenal. Yeah, that, that film is just... That film, I cannot wait for whoever to put it out on Blu-ray and do a restoration of that because yeah. that film needs to be preserved and shown with with any any great Halloween series. Yeah, we'll definitely do Eve's Bayou as a stumble upon in the future because it's yeah. such a fun incredible mm-hmm. film to chew on. Yeah. Austin, what would you recommend to stumble upon? Well, I I stumbled upon a film by Sarah Jacobson recently called uh, I Was a Teenage Serial Killer. It's only, it's a 25-minute short, and it's fucking awesome. Like, mm-hmm. it was made in the 90s. It's in black and white. It's fucking wonderful. Like, it's basically a woman who just keeps murdering men who are either catcalling her or uh, being... Uh, like sexually aggressive with her or any kind of disregard to her right for space. She murders people over, which rightly so I, I I can't say that I, I I disagree with her choices, at least as presented in the film. Yeah. If you like the love, Witch, you're going to like, I was a teenage serial killer. Yeah. It's very DIY punk, Mm -hmm. like riot girl. Mm -hmm. Think, you know, bikini kill. inspo west coast pacific Mm -hmm. northwest vibes yeah like we super 90s fantastic you you should like have a zine in your hand Mm -hmm. and have been screaming mannequin pussy no sorry mannequin pussies now yeah screaming a bikini kill songs Mm -hmm. and just just kind of get into your own 90s grunge vibe before you watch the movie yeah and and the other thing that i kind of recently stumbled upon was the collected works of andy milligan which is, he's a filmmaker from, I think, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Go on. He's a, like, I've only watched one of his films right now, the ghastly ones. And I'm just kind of slowly making my way through through a set of his films. And they're just, they are, they're unique. Like, it's, it's strange because I want to say that, I want to say in the most positive way possible that they're not incredibly well made. But they are really well constructed for what he was able to do. And the, like, I know that he had no money to make these films. So he like these are fucking labors of love and they are dark and they're hard and they're violent and they're strange. And if you if you find yourself wanting to go down a rabbit hole and see somebody who makes film because they couldn't do anything fucking else, like this is this is kind of a guy to, 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 to track that with. That sounds amazing. Oh. I will happily watch those with you. Yeah. Well, you. you I know we already did. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you might also just like happen into them <laughs> happening around you as I well. Just walk into the room and there it is. Yeah, so the, I'll watch it too. There you go. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that I think that that's great. Like, so thank you very much for spending some time with us. And, thank you. And, and and listening to us chat about two films that are fucking awesome: Season of the Witch and The Love Witch. And if you'd like to know more about what's coming up next, we'll post it in our Instagram stories. You can follow us on Instagram at Fishtown Films. We make independent cinema. Mm -hmm. So if you want to learn more about what we make, we'll definitely be talking about it later on down in the podcast line. But also you can always reach out to us in the comments or slide into our DMs Mm -hmm. and tell us what you think or make any recommendations of what you want us to talk about. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll post up what we're going to watch next so you can watch it a little bit ahead of time and then chat with us about it. Yeah. Thank you again for your time.